Hey everyone, welcome to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. In the Mobile User Acquisition Show, we talk about how to use mobile user acquisition strategies to grow your app quickly and capital efficiently. The Mobile User Acquisition Show is presented by me, Shamant Rao, mobile growth leader and founder and CEO of the mobile growth consulting firm, Rocketship HQ. Each episode includes strategies, tips, and pointers from the leading edge of mobile user acquisition that you can use to unlock tremendous growth for your app in a sustainable and capital-efficient manner. Our guest today is Michael Yesen, Senior User Acquisition Specialist at SocialPoint. I'm very excited for today's episode because Michael and his team do something in-house that very few teams do, which is make playables. This is something that they do at significant volumes, and this has helped them iterate and test playables in a way that I've seen very few companies do. For diving into all of this and really getting a deep dive of the kind of performance that they've been able to drive through in-housing playables, I'm thrilled to dive into that experience today. I'm very excited to welcome Michael Yesen to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Michael, welcome to the show. Hey, you're welcome. Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm thrilled to have you, Michael, because you definitely do come very highly recommended. And also because you and your team are among the few people I know that have in-house something that very few other teams have, uh, which is playables. And this is something I'm excited to dive into in a lot more detail and depth today, just because of the enormous impact that playables can have on any app's performance. So thrilled to dive into all of this today. To get started, can you tell us about the genesis of the project of in-housing your playables? What were some of the challenges that inspired you and your team to pursue this project to in-house your playables? Yes. Yeah, so initially, we we were working with a DSP cross install uh, over the last couple of months, and like within working with them. Uh, involved some playables that they produced on their end. And we saw that that was actually working pretty good on their DSP. So we wanted to know more about it. So we started to, first of all, work with, with cross install, then with some other vendors as well to create external playables, to use them also outside of the, the DSP that we're, we're using them in. So when we saw that this was one, on one hand, it was very costly and it was also slow in terms of development. One vendor was faster than other, obviously, but the, the heavy price tag was something that always came back in every vendor. So, I mean, the price tag is roughly between three and 5K for a playable. And then, you know, you don't even know if it's going to work. So what do you do then? Uh, so we decided, like, as we have a, a team that is developing uh, tools for the company in-house, so like technical tools for different kind of teams, and they're creating software uh, within the team. So we decided to take and do a test on getting two people involved into an in-house project for making the playables in-house. So that's actually how 
everything started. Uh, what we wanted to do is to to reduce the cost to see if if we can make playables in house first of all, and then secondly, like okay, how many playables can we produce, and is that worth the trade off of the investment that we would otherwise pay uh, with a vendor? Yeah, and I know you said you started with two people on your team. What resourcing did you have to look for to get these two people? In that what engineering, design, or analytics skill sets did you need to look for to get start building this team out? I mean, it's, it's like as I said before, like it were people that were already working and creating tools, so they already had the developing and programming skills, so that they had the background already. So that was good. It was like we didn't have to hire anyone externally for this uh, because we had the knowledge already in house. But then, of course, like most of the partners don't have any any certain guidances or or external communication. Um, so we had to build everything from scratch and design it for each different partner. Yeah. And I imagine one of the things that makes this project so challenging and your project so impressive is you're essentially building or programming a game, a mini game, a mini version of the game itself. When you were starting off on the play, playable in-housing project, mm-hmm. what were some of the first steps you took to make sure you, the tool was built out and the tool could produce play, playables that were effective for this particular game? Yeah, so when they, we started with one game uh, as a trial test, obviously. So for all of the games in general, we had to make uh, different templates. So at the moment right now, we're like three games where we're actively making playables for constantly. So each game has a different kind of template, let's say. Um, every template has different kind of mechanics that are based on on the game. Like we have a word game that has like swiping elements. Uh, we have Dragon City and Monster Legends, which have more like click interactions uh, on the playables and different kind of fight mechanics. So every game has its own templates. Um, and based on that, we, we created everything. So... Uh, we work together with the art team. So the art team provides different kind of assets in terms of like backgrounds, elements is going to be moving and they kind of make it alive basically, right? So from a static idea and concept, they they put everything to the elements and the moving parts within the playable and the mechanics uh, to make it come alive. Yeah. And do you find that for one game you have one single template or for, you know, for instance... For a word game, like you said, you could have a sliding template, but you could also have a template that involves picking alphabets or letters. So do you typically find test different templates against the other? How does that work? Yeah, so every game has their own core gameplay, core mechanics uh, template, let's say. But of course, it's true what you say, like, uh, if you want to try something completely different, right, maybe a fake playable ad, like what you see very frequently on the on the video side as well. Like maybe you want to do, I don't know, um, uh, for like a game like Dragon City, which is a very casual game, uh, you want to put some match tree element in there. And then, of course, you need to add these mechanics in there. So you create a separate, like a second template just for that. So it depends a little bit on what we want to do. It depends a little bit on the, on the concept. I would say we have three core templates, one for each game. And then depending on the concepts that we're developing, we're creating like a sub uh, template and this can Got be it. interchanged between the different games as well. Got it. And sounds like to create a core template, you need engineering resources. 
Mm-hmm. And once it is created, what happens every time you need a new cre- uh, playable creator? What, what, what do you need to do? So basically, like if we come up with a concept together with our team, like uh, we give them basically the assets. We explain the concept to them, like what needs to move, what's basically a briefing. The art team provides the, the static assets and then they basically do the rest. So usually we create main playable and then we already create like one or two iterations uh, where the cult where people go directly to the call to action or not. So we always have like a main version, let's say. And then two iterations already in the beginning. We start testing these on, on several networks and DSPs. And then if we see there is a success or the we have a good IPM ratio, etc., uh, we roll out more different iterations of that. So this can be changing of characters, like changing colors in um, in the call to action or different placements within the playable. So there's a lot of things possible, but it comes down to a lot of testing as well. Yeah. What do you find in your testing are the most important variables or parameters that you see move the needle the, the most? Yeah, so it's like the the placement of the action uh, of the the call to action. So it's the install button. This is something that, like, if we if we place it in the middle uh, or on the sides, is something that uh, can make a difference. If we put the install button, what we saw in the beginning, like we in the first playables that we made, we did it only in the la- in the last part of the playable. Like now we we add the install button, like basically from the beginning, so it's all the time in the top, and then in the end, it will be more centralized and more focused on. Uh, so this is something that uh, really helped as well. So people know that during the whole playable, they can interact with it. And if they want to, you know, install the game after seeing the playable just for two, three seconds, they can. Um, so these kind of insights uh, are very useful. And this is stuff that we can optimize and the playables with, as well as characters. Of course, like we, we have a lot of data already from the game so we know what characters people are usually playing with what kind of elements in the game they like the most so these kind of concepts we use in order to to create concepts uh, and to optimize them as well yeah and i know you said when you do want to build a new playable you get assets from your art team which Mm -hmm. could be characters colors or whatnot so what is the input for the playable tool and what is the output what does it look like so the playable itself is like kind of programmed like any other uh, like game, like with some with with code basically. In terms of the outputs, like every network or every DSP like that we're working with. Uh, so think of like Google, Facebook uh, networks like Vongo, AppLoven, and DSPs like uh, Moloko and Crossinsel, for example. They all have different requirements in terms of their coding and in the way that the HTML file, because that's the, the, the output file of a, of a playable, needs to have. So this is something that we manually had to build, like custom exporters, like for mm-hmm. every partner in order to comply with their requirements. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But this is something you set up once, um, obviously. Well, like yeah. We work with X amount of partners that support playable ads. So if we know, like, okay, we're spending... A decent amount of money on, on on partner A, like we would like to create the playable, uh, or we would like to run these playables for these partners as well, so we can create a customized exports in order to fulfill these requirements and to have the have these playables live on the partner. Yeah, and something else that I understand you guys do that makes all of this very impressive is you track metrics around playable performance. 
Can you speak to that? And what are some of the metrics to track? How does that help improve overall performance? Can you speak to all of that? Yeah, so the playable is basically always split into several parts, right? So every interaction that the user can make, whether it's a, like a swipe, a click, a drag, um, everything has is like a different frames. So it's similar to the, like when you're coming to a normal e-commerce website, right? So like the, an e-commerce website is split up in one page that you land on, and it then goes to a different sub-pages in order to get to your checkout, right? So a playable is in a way similar that... Like you start on the main part and de- and depending on the choices that you make in the playable, like you get uh, something happens, whether it's good or bad, or it's a certain decision that you made that make you pass or fail, depending on of course, what, what you do in the playable. So all of these metrics have some kind of like CTR, like uh, some click-through rates. We can see the bounce rate. Sometimes what we see is that people click, for example, let's say one playable has five interaction points before it goes to the store. We see, for example, that after three interactions, we see a massive drop. From that moment on, people don't click on the ad anymore. So we can see, okay, what what's happening and what's maybe different on that third specific screen part, an interaction that, that we see, you know, people drop out the most, like a bounce rate. Yeah. Um, so this can be like, I don't know, maybe the, the call to action button is, uh, is placed in a weird corner and we try to do it and we put it on another corner or we, instead of, Make the, the color green, we make it orange. Um, can be different kind of things that we test then. And then we see like that these conversion rates from one to another are actually kind of going up again. And then we know, okay, this was therefore the, um, the reason why it was dro- why people were dropping out. And then we go to the next. And that's the way how we can optimize the playable experience uh, on the road. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, you know, if you had to make a completely new playable concept, for testing, how would you think about that? What would that process look like? Yeah, so we have a lot, like as Playables is working well for us across the board, it's like there's more and more efforts being put into this. Um, like The team is now also extended to three people. So we have an extra person even working on this now. Like we have several concepts being delivered uh, week over week with a quite quick turnaround. So usually like uh, the art team has brain, uh, brainstorm sessions with uh, the playable guys. So they pitch the, the concept that they want to do. So this can be something that is related to like an event or something inside of the game uh, or can be an offline event. Like, I don't know, like the other day you have Memorial Day or 4th of July is coming up soon, you know, so we can make... Um, playables around certain events so this is something that the art team is usually brainstorming about with the team they also involve of course the marketing teams like uh, like myself because we see what's working in terms of videos as well so we try to use elements from from the game the video and also what's kind of trending in the market and if it's related to a live ops event or an offline event yeah yeah and Playables often work in conjunction with videos. Mm-hmm. So, A, can you tell us about what the interdependence is for users, for our listeners who are not familiar with that? And can you also speak to what are some of the things that you have learned about how playables and videos influence each other and how you need to think about one with respect to the other? 
Yeah, so there's two different things. Like on some partners, like uh, some networks, we can run playables individually, which is great. So there the concept can be completely uh, free. Like we can do whatever we want. We can do something very similar to the game or something completely not relevant or a, a fake kind of uh, playable. Uh, however, what we saw, like, for example, on on Aploven, on Fungal, on Facebook, uh, you all work with a video together with a playable end card or interactive end card, as they say. So what we saw there is that if I put, like, for example, concept A video and I put a concept B playable, like the whole experience uh, and the performance is not as good as if we would put, for example, a concept A uh, video and a concept a video so if we make the whole experience from video to interactive end card in the same kind of style with the same kind of characters then the user guiding through a whole process and eventually going to the to the app store and downloading the game and in game getting the same experience as they saw on the playable that's working best for us i mean it maybe sounds obvious but we we tried it in uh, with several different tests um, and we can confirm that's actually the case. So, and as well yeah. as if there is like live ops events, um, this is something that people directly see when they open the game, when they when they first come into the game. If these elements are all aligned, uh, let's say, that's yeah. where you get the best performance. Yeah, and in order for the game itself to reflect what's in the playable or the ad itself, do you have to typically coordinator work with your product teams what is that process like usually um no product is normally not so much involved in this because i mean we're free to do on the marketing side what we want in terms of playables of course like it's they prefer to it to to have an experience uh, on the marketing side whether it's a video or a playable to be as most realistic to to what's in the game uh, just to make sure that the expectations are met from the user However, whatever drives performance, as you know, um, is yeah. good for the product team, right? So if that's a fake playable or a fake video, they're happy with that as well. So the product is not so much involved. It's more like a collaboration between the playable guys, the art team, and the marketing people in order to drive and come up with the ideas uh, into the execution. Cool. Uh, that makes a lot of sense, Michael. And clearly... As I've, I have myself seen and experienced, labels can be very powerful, but they can also be a bit of a bottleneck for a lot of teams, just because, as you expressed, they can be so hard to pull off. Uh, and uh, it's very impressive what you guys have done. Can you speak to what the outcome has been and what sort of uh, quantity of labels your team is able to put out? What some of the results have been this project? Um, I mean, yeah, it's like the team is now, like we've been doing in-house playables now since the end of the year, more or less. Um, yeah. So I think for each game, they're putting out, I would say three playables a month. Um, so yeah. like, I think they can produce up between five and eight um, yeah. playables a month for all three games that we're advertising for at the moment. So it's quite a lot, actually. And this was something that was, of course, never possible before. And if you think about the cost of that, you know, like getting yeah. five to 10 playables a month and yeah. imagine paying 5K for each playable for that. That's a lot of money on a monthly base, right? That we're in a way saving. Yeah. And the good thing is we can iterate on this really fast. Yeah, We can reskin them really fast. For example, if we have a playable that's working really well, uh, and say tomorrow is Christmas or it's like uh, St. Patrick's Day. Like you can you can put the characters or the mechanics with a Christmas feeling 
So you can even like seasonalize them uh, based on, on events that are happening in the, in the offline world. So it's been a process that for us has been very successful. Therefore, uh, as I said, like we have also a new person on it. Like the team is slowly expanding. It's still not a, a super big team. Like, I mean, the majority of marketing efforts or marketing art efforts, I should say, is going to video ads and static, but playables is definitely something that's gaining month over month, more and more and more. And we see that more and more DSPs and partners are implementing it. And also like uh, there is more and more traffic coming for playables all the time. Like even Facebook and Google, like they have more inventory every month. So it's really good to see that, uh, that it's growing. But of course, for smaller companies, it's a little bit of a risk because it's quite, uh, it's quite sure. expensive. And if you don't have someone in-house um, that can make these things for you, or you don't have a designated team for it, it's very hard to, to test that. But I mean, as a smaller company, I would say as an advice, like, I mean, use some outsourcing uh, agencies perhaps first, like maybe ask for one or two playables uh, to test that. And if there is a potential, I would definitely say like either outsources or get it in-house if you have the capability mm-hmm. in the team. Yeah, definitely. Right. And what you described also outlines the sheer potential of playables because not only now are you producing five to eight playables a month or more, but you're also able to iterate much, much faster. And that unlocks the, a lot of performance, which in yeah. turn can, you know, it can be a virtuous cycle. Uh, for all of this, Michael, just so impressed by everything that uh, you guys have done and everything you've described. This is perhaps a good place for us to wrap up. So can you tell our listeners how they can find out more about you? Yeah, sure. If like, anyone wants to know more about like what we did or performance or like what kind of uh, specifications you need to get this all started, like, I mean, you can reach out to me on Twitter. You can reach out to me on LinkedIn uh, where I'm a bit more active. Um, so yeah, reach out to me there if you want to, to follow up on this. And then I'm happy to, uh, to, to jump in in any kind of topics or conversations around labels or anything else related to marketing you away. Excellent. We will link to your LinkedIn and Twitter in the show notes. And of course, we'll have transcripts and detailed notes as well for folks who want to follow up later. Uh, for now, thank you so much, Michael, for being on the Mobile User Acquisition Show. Perfect. Thanks a lot for the invite. Thank you for listening to the Mobile User Acquisition Show. If any of this was helpful or instructive, I would love for you to leave us a review or rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcast fix. This podcast takes a ton of time, effort, and love to produce, and I deeply value every review and every piece of feedback that you share. Thank you for listening, and I will look forward to sharing our next episode soon.